Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a parenting podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with Detox. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and on today's episode, I have a very special treat for you. Jeff Carpenter, who's been on the show before, returns along with fellow Last Chance U cast member, Jared Wheeler. You may remember Jared as teaching the philosophy class in Last Chance U Season 4. So he and Jeff come on to discuss what the current COVID-19 coronavirus means for students taking all of their learning online, and also what it means for student-athletes where the their season has been cut, as well as the professional seasons, possibly a draft being cut, what all of that means, our take on it, our perspective, as well as some hopes and positivity for you to take with you. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. With me at this time is two individuals I'm very excited to bring onto the show. One has been on the show before, Mr. Jeff Carpenter. Jeff, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm great, Joe. Thanks for having me back, brother. Of course, anytime. And second, I've got another individual you may know from Last Chance U, Mr. Jared Wheeler. Jared, how are you doing today? I'm great, Joe. Thanks so much for having me on. And uh, Jeff, it's nice to talk to you again, bro. We're sure, Jared. Right back <laughs> at you. So I'm really excited to, to dig into a bunch of topics. So I know listeners are definitely familiar with both of you from Last Chance U, uh, the last two seasons when they were at, uh, at Indy. And so I really want to dig into specifically kind of how both of you are familiar with uh, the junior college student-athlete route. Last Chance U covers that in depth about uh, athletes coming in, uh, getting their associate's degree hopefully transferring to another school, getting the opportunity to go into the NFL. And so with the coronavirus and COVID-19 really putting a dent in a lot of things, you know, school's gone virtual. Uh, everybody's using Zoom. Everybody's doing different online class uh, resources. And the actual seasons for some of these students have been canceled. You know, you've got the NBA, you've got NFL, everybody's canceling seasons. Well, not the NFL, they weren't in, but you, you catch my drift. And, and so I really want to know, uh, let's start with you, Jared, maybe what has been your perspective about school moving online and how have you seen that impact different athletes who were looking to make that jump for the fall? Sure. So I have a an unpopular take on online education amongst educators as we move more and more towards a digital approach to education. Um, I think that there are some elements of the social experience that comes with college, especially where the, the benefit of college is to interact with different ideas, folks from different backgrounds to have your perspectives, your worldviews stretched and pushed, and maybe that results in you galvanizing your worldview. Maybe that results in a student completely changing their perspective on things. I think when that becomes strictly digital, then we see the same thing that happens in a form like Twitter, where people have great ideas, but they function as these snippets and you never interact with the totality of a person. And I think that's one thing that, that lacks, um, that, that's found lacking in online ed, whether it's because of the coronavirus or whether it's simply because of the proliferation of online education. Now, students 
they miss out on the interaction with other students in which they experience the totality of a person, the totality of a relationship. And so I think student athletes, especially at junior college, where you are getting maybe four semesters, typically less than that, typically three semesters for a junior college athlete. And you, those relationships are on such a fast pace anyway, to now move them away from that is really difficult. And as junior college, at least in my experience with a lot of student athletes, it functions as this enclave where there were so many competing forces in their lives for good and for ill. And then they get away, they come to this place that functions very much like a bunker for them, mm. in which in the best cases, they're loved well, they're loved unconditionally, they believe things about themselves they didn't believe before, they're told truths about themselves they've never heard before, um, they're sometimes hard to hear and sometimes very uplifting to hear, but they get to be in this enclave, this safe space in which they get to kind of arrive at who they're going to be. And now that that's been taken away from them, what I worry more about than what offers they're not going to get, it's the personal development that they're not going to have the opportunity to encounter because they don't get to come to the enclave that junior college can be at its best. Yeah, that's a good point. I think when I think about when I first started in college, for an example, and I know some of my some of the people I went to school with. It was those first few years, and also I think what junior college helps facilitate as well, is being able to take you while you're in a mostly independent environment and teach you the skills you need to function later on in life. The ability to manage your time well, the ability to compartmentalize, the ability to prioritize. And I think it can be overwhelming when you are slightly or mostly cut off from that, right? So you're still in a learning environment, but but it can be it can be difficult. Jeff, I'd really love to get your perspective on having been around the different student athletes and Coach Brown and how he's helped coach them and and give them some of these skills. What have been what has been your perspective with seeing the students uh, these student athletes really learn these kind of life skills that they're able to implement later on? Well, and I think, you know, that, that goes back, of course, at our time with Last Chance U when the cameras were in independence. And, um, you know, certainly more so, I think, for me, probably the first season, which would be season three, it was probably a little more impactful. But, um, you know, so many of those kids come from broken homes, as everybody knows, that is familiar with the show. And, you know, to see them try to find their way, if you will. And, and I know they have the benefit, thankfully, of people such as Jared, you know, being a professor in school. And, and he, he has the great take because he certainly has the academic side of things. But this guy, he, he's, he's a great football mind, too. I'm a big fan of Jared. I'm just going to tell you right now because he knows football. And, you know, to be able to be that type of a chameleon as an instructor, I think, is huge. And, and I think that's where he wins over a lot of these kids because they trust him. Um, and he can relate to them. And, and I think that was, you know, some of the things that Coach Brown tried to impart on uh, to his players is it was life lessons that he wanted to teach them because he knew how broken a lot of these kids were. And this was their opportunity being pulled away from their home in a foreign environment, um, you know, to try and find their way, but find the right way. And, 
And I think Coach Brown and, and his assistant coaches, it wasn't all just one person, but uh, Coach Brown would a lot of times call him in one-on-one and talk to him and explain to him the situations in a man-to-man type of conversation. And quite honestly, a lot of these kids don't have a man-to-man. They don't have a father. And, you know, they're, they're raised by one, one parent. It's a mother or a grandmother or an aunt or whatever the case is. They do not have the opportunity to have that man-to-man conversation and that guidance. And, and I think that's something that Coach Brown was able to convey to them. Now, a lot of times it might have been more abrasive than what some people, when they listen to it or watch it on the show, they may take offense to the language or something. But the reality is the message is still there. And a lot of these kids are coming from these metro urban areas. Um, That's kind of their way of life. And, you know, now they're being displaced into a rural environment, totally foreign place. And they're having to try to find their way. And really, Coach Brown was trying to be a guiding light, if you will, to put them on the right path. Yeah, and I think that's so key when you have both teachers such as Jared and coaches like Coach Brown who are trying to build you up, teach you lessons, and empower you, right? So my big thing is I want to make sure that you're getting educated and then you're getting empowered. So I want you to be taking in the information. And now that you've taken it in, you've gotten educated, you're empowered to go and do something with that knowledge. And I think it's so key that you've got the school. And I think it was great in the show, uh, both both schools that they highlighted, you've got the teacher aspect and you've got the coach aspect. And ideally, they're working hand in hand to help these students and, and do what's best for them. But I'd really love to know maybe what is a thought or speculation? And Jeff, we can start with you on this one on what the current cancellations, I mean, we're at a point right now, it's, we're, we're recording this in early April of 2020. And we're at a point where we're not sure that we've hit the apex of the virus in, in the United States. And so knowing that we're all, that everything is constantly changing, we don't know if classes are going to start in person or virtually in the fall. We don't know if sports are going to start back up. We don't know any of these things. If there are cancellations, say the NFL cancels, say XFL, you know, doesn't start back up in the, in the winter, whatever it is, how do you see these, these athletes progressing? Cause you have this kind of window of one or two years worth of student athletes who are kind of stop gapped and they don't quite have anywhere to go. What do you, what do you see as maybe a, a scenario or something that that you could see these athletes going going down or or pursuing? You know, I think Joe, and just speaking from my point of view, I, I think it's going to be really devastating to a lot of these kids because football or basketball or whatever their sport of endeavor is, that's their way of life. That's their ticket. Right. That's their meal ticket in their mind. And not to take anything away from the academic side of things, because, you know, I've, I've told kids in the past, you know, the, the football players, and when I'm on these long bus rides with them and stuff, and, I'm, and I basically tell them, look, your talent will get the recruiters to Independence Community College to look right. at you. But it's going to be your academic progress and what you do in the classroom that's going to nail down that Division One or Division Two scholarship. Because without that, you're not going anywhere. Right. And so I think these kids are going to have to find a way to get a perfect balance and a harmony. And that's going to be kind of 
on a case-by-case thing. I think it's going to be really hard for some of them that struggle mightily in school uh, because if you take them out of the classroom where they have the ability to interact with the instructor and have more of a hands-on approach, they're going to lose that. And now you're putting them in a situation where they're going to have to do stuff online. And, you know, I'm not familiar with, you know, all the undertakings and how that actually works. Jared would certainly know way more than myself, but I think that part and that element is going to be stripped away from them. And some of these kids are going to be left behind. And that's just the unfortunate truth. And they're going to have to fight and scrap and struggle to try to get by uh, until who knows when, and none of us know, you know, when this coronavirus is, uh, you're going to reach its apex, when it's going to get better, when, you know, we're all going to be able to quit our social distancing like we're doing now. Right. Um, you know, I've never seen as many people in my life walking their dogs in the last two weeks, <laughs> me included. I mean, right. I, I walk my dog Floyd and, um, but the reality is that's the world we live in right now. And, and it's unfortunate these young student athletes are going to be forced into that and they're going to grow up even faster and they're going to have to um, because they're going to be faced with some tough decisions. Yeah, I think that's really, really key just to think about all of the additional implications because that's that's what's really going through my mind is this is not... I mean, you know, from a a short-term perspective, it's like, oh, I can't get to go on the trip that I wanted to do, or, oh, the concert or the event I wanted to go to got canceled, or what sports am I supposed to be watching now? MLS, I'm a huge soccer fan. MLS had just started. We were two weeks in, done. And, you know, I'm thinking about all of these things in the short term, but then when I sit back and and take it off of me, and I think about the long-term trickle-down effects, I mean, this this is insane. I mean, Jared, you know, I got my degree back in 2010 in theater. And that was not something I could do online. I had to be in the theater, in the classroom. We were, whether it was performing or my capstone in order to get my bachelor's was I had to direct a full production. And that was the entire spring was we were learning how to do it, putting it together, holding auditions, doing it. And our grade, I mean, 70% of our grade was outside judges essentially who came watch the show and then wrote a report on what they liked and didn't like in their suggested grade. And that's wouldn't be something I could do online. So I just, I wonder how are you adjusting to teaching online? I know you, are you still teaching uh, philosophy or are you teaching something else? So now I teach communication classes. So okay. specifically I'm teaching, uh, for example, like public speaking this okay. semester imagine taking a public speaking class online in which the typical approach is you develop content and you deliver that content and it's a performative class akin to what you're describing with theater but it's a performative class that involves this vulnerability in the face of your classmates and then also has the effect of encouragement or apprehension, anxiety, all of those things that are really character development issues. But um, to be quite frank, it's really difficult to administer and evaluate public speaking in a purely digital format. So how, how is one to determine if a student is, has learned the necessary skills to do well in public speaking, or are they just uncomfortable recording themselves and then trying to upload that to some sort of learning platform. And so, for example, I've had students who 
you know, I try and kick the door open as wide as possible in the last week and they submit it through the learning platform, submit assignments through the learning platform uh, via YouTube links, through Instagram, through Twitter, any way that I can get them to do their work, I wanna make it as, um, as palatable as possible for them. And if I could just jump back into something that, that Joe was speaking, I'm sorry, that, that Jeff and you were speaking about that, Joe, and you know, the effect that it's gonna have on student athletes, every sure. student at a junior college or at a four-year college, very few of them are there for the sake of academics alone. There is always a motivating factor that gets them to class in the morning. It could be the approval of their parents. It could be someone they have a relationship with. It could be a status that they're trying to maintain. It, for the students that we've interacted with um, considerably over the past couple of years, it's student athletes. So it's maintaining eligibility. It's making sure that they're keeping up on that end of the bargain. But very few students have entered my philosophy classroom on day one because, man, they cannot wait to hear about Neoplatonism. It's because there, there's another mitigating factor. There's another motivating factor. And anytime you take that away, whether we're talking about football or your girlfriend dumps you or your parents suddenly decide they're less interested in your academic performance, you're going to be less motivated to go to class. And so I have, and I know a lot of teachers and a lot of students are fighting this battle right now. Once that motivating factor, and sometimes it's just people are counting on me to show up. But once that's gone, um, how much motivation is there for students to continue to be diligent with their academics? That's so key. And, and it really is, you've got to figure out what motivates you and when you take away what's the primary motivator are you going to survive are you going to thrive or are you going to slip into old habits old patterns or new more destructive patterns one doesn't know and i think it can be very difficult i know for me it was something where i was unsure if i wanted to go to college but when i made the decision about wanting to go to college made the decision about what i wanted to go for I knew this is what I want to do. And that was a little broad, but that was my big motivating factor was I get to go to the theater every single day and perform. And if I don't do well in this algebra class, I don't get to go to the theater to perform. And if you had taken that away from me as an option, I'm not sure what would have happened. And I think you're, you're speaking, you're speaking a lot, Jared, uh, uh, you're speaking a lot of truth and I think it's, it's key. Um, um, I'd really like to know, maybe pivoting just a little bit, uh, Jared, we'll start with you on this one. I want to know maybe what do, hmm, what do you foresee as maybe, cause yeah, let me, let me put some context around this. I'm already seeing a lot of companies and a lot of schools and, uh, a lot of coworkers or friends that I have talking about the companies they work for. They're, they've now shifted to long-term thinking insofar as like 12 months from now, what are we going to do? Because I think a lot of people did a lot of short-term quick fixes like, well, let's just make working from home work for now. Let's make learning from home work for now. But a lot of these people are shifting towards what does 12 months from now look like for the new learning experience, even if we are back in the classroom are we taking some of these new methods with us? Do you see 
are you involved in some of those conversations about long-term planning now? And if so, what do those look like? I think everyone should be involved in those conversations. Um, I'm involved with them in as much as kind of reflecting on it um, as as what we can do to make the in-person classroom experience more viable and more dynamic. Because I think that the assumption was we're going to switch to online. When I say we, I'm using the royal we, everyone who's involved in education. Right. We're going to switch to online um, and everything's going to be as it was. And we'll just move things to Zoom <laughs> and we'll move things to learning platforms that are already online and everything's going to be okay. And what that has underlined for me is that maybe as educators, we have not been doing our damnedest to make the in-person classroom experience something that has vitality mm-hmm. and something that has some fire to it and some risk and not risk for the students, but risk for the educator that you should be a little scared when you go in that you're going to try something so important that if it fails, it's going to fail big. And so I'm, I'm not doing a very good job of answering your question because I can't say, well, yeah, we're going to integrate yeah. this bit of technology or that bit of technology. Sure. And this is just, you know, the way my brain works, I'm always going to process it um, from maybe an obscure point. But I think what, what we need to do as educators is to remember this season and think 12 months from now, yeah, we could still be doing um, online classes. And if that's the case, then we do need to learn from folks who have leveraged this season and social media platforms and things, companies like Zoom, not just using Zoom, but companies like Zoom, uh, tech giants that have figured this stuff out. But also we need to be thinking about 18 months from now and what is it going to look like to have a student who's been through this, who's been through online and is thinking to themselves, I can just do everything online and we know the success rate. We know the success rate for a junior college student taking all online classes is less yeah. than an in-person student. We need to make sure that what we learn most explicitly from this is how do we best love our students when we have them in person? And in that, how do we make their in-person learning experience as dynamic as we possibly can? I think that's so key. And Jeff, I'd love to get your perspective on maybe how do you see things shaking out just for um, maybe maybe a speculation. And this is a conversation that I was having the other day was what do you do for because somebody the subject of, uh, for instance, the NFL draft was brought up and like, are we going to have the draft this year? If we're not, what is that going to look like? And I think I'd really like to get your perspective on maybe what do you see or what do you feel uh, we could see in the world of sports looking out because you've got this type of graduating senior class that is like, let's say the draft isn't happening. They're not, they're eligible for the draft. They don't get to draft. You've got another draft class coming up. The draft takes place next year. Now we've got two years worth of seniors in a draft or coming up into the pros. What, what do we even look like? You know, I mean, I'd love to get your perspective because these are the types of conversations I'm thinking about every single day. Well, that's really interesting, Joe, because, uh, you know, quite honestly, you're going to have a bottleneck of a lot of talent, right? Is what's going to end up happening. And, um, you know, I've read, you know, several uh, articles, as I'm sure you've seen on the internet or TV or whatever it is, and they talk about doing a virtual draft right. and, you know, having it uh, on TV, um, nobody going to be there, no fans, none of that. You know, they were going to do it in Las Vegas and all that and try to usher in 
the Raiders' new stadium and so forth. But I think the thing what's probably going to happen, and this is just my guess, is they will have the draft. Um, it's going to be done via closed circuit or television. Um, it'll be a live big production, and they'll blow it up as big as they can to try to hype it, as they should. Right. And the problem is going to be is the kids that get drafted, are they going to get to play? Is anybody going to get to play? Are right. we going to have an abbreviated season? Um, I mean, I've heard rumors of not even starting it until late November. Um, I'm not sure I want to set it too many of those games. If I'm a fan, you know, in January <laughs> or February, right. it's bad enough in Green Bay when it's, you know, November, December, let alone in the dead of February when it's yeah. going to be 25 below zero and the snow's flying. So I don't really know exactly how that's going to play out. I do believe they will have a draft. I think the problem with postponing it completely is there's going to be too much bottleneck of talent in the following year. You've got all of these athletes trying to come down the pipeline and nowhere to go. There's no outlet for them. So I think there will be a draft. Players will get placed on teams as normal. Whether the season goes off without a hitch, I don't see that happening on time, quite honestly. Um, I see there being either one, an abbreviated season, which I think is interesting because the pros just voted in having an extra game and another play, two more playoff teams. And now the season's even longer than what it was. And, you know, quite honestly, I don't see how that's going to work for the NFL part of it. Now for college football, they've talked about abbreviated season, um, you know, cutting out the non-conference games. Well, basically what you're doing is you're eliminating the smaller colleges and their revenue of right. getting that shot at, you know, some of the purse money. Uh, from the big schools, which is going to be a huge crying shame if that happens, because that's such a big part of what they count on for these football programs, for, you know, the division twos and so forth to play the big guys. And they know they're going to get clobbered, but the reality is they're going to get to be on national TV. They're going to make, you know, a million and a half dollars for getting beat 65 to nothing. But the reality is you're giving these kids an experience and a chance at playing in a 105,000-seat, you know, uh, arena. And I think that's something that, you know, there's going to be so many things that we're going to see that I never thought in my lifetime that I would ever live to see something like this. Um, I'm more disappointed for my kids and my grandkids to have to deal with this. Uh, my grandson's birthday is coming up this weekend. Well, you know, he loves to go roller skating. You can't, you can't right. do that now. Um, you know, so there's so many things we're having to sacrifice, you know, Easter coming up, you know, you're not going to be able to have the big, huge family gatherings like you always did. Right. So there is so many different things that is affecting each and every one of us and our lifestyle. And we're having to make accommodations for them. And as Americans, we're not used to having to do that because we're used to the freedom and the luxury of doing whatever we want to do. Yep. So I think it's going to be very interesting, Joe and Jared, on how it pans out, not just for the NFL, but, you know, for college football, I'm going to use them too, because that's really the, you know, kind of the big sports coming up here um, in the early fall, you right. know, soccer, the, you know, the, biggest sport in the entire world yeah it gets shortened immediately I mean they're what two weeks into the season and it's finished so you know the XFL what a shame they actually had a following their first yeah. year and it's yeah. over 
So, you know, there's so many, I won't say tragic stories, but there is so many negative stories coming out of this that you're looking for a silver lining. And I think all that we can really cling to right now is a hope and a prayer that number one, this gets over with sooner rather than later, uh, that there's a vaccine found for it, you know, that can put people at ease a little bit. Um, because I told a coworker just a couple of days ago, I said, you know, life as we know it is over. It's never going to be the same. And I hate to be a naysayer, but you're not going to see the openness and, and the public hugging and all that kind of stuff like we have in the past in being an open society and a loving society. And I think that's something that we're going to have to sacrifice, unfortunately. Yeah, it was really, it was really brought home to me when I started thinking about the fact of what all of these cancellations meant. So you talked about these smaller colleges aren't getting the opportunity to play the big schools. Yeah, they're probably going to get creamed, but they're getting, you know, they're getting national tele, uh, a nationally televised game. You're getting people uh, in front of there. You've, you're getting money, you're getting jobs, you're getting all this. And the fact that when you cancel these different events, cancel events or cancel seasons, there are so many jobs that are impacted. I think it's easy to look at the players and the coaches because that's who we see, right? But then there's also all of the people that work the field, the all the people that work in, in the stands and the concessions. You've got uh, the all of the different people for the school or for the team that are working behind the scenes, you know, whether the marketing department or communications. I mean, you've got all of these different jobs that are being filled both at the collegiate level and the professional level, that there's not necessarily a need for all of them. And it becomes a shame. I mean, I believe uh, canceling March Madness cost, was it uh, $771 million for them to cancel that? Uh, that's an approximate number. Yeah, $771 million CBS lost for canceling March Madness. And you just think about how many jobs are being impacted from such a big event like March Madness getting canceled and it's it's astounding. I think it can be really easy to, you know, as Americans, like you said, Jeff, we're used to our freedom and getting to do what we want when we want, and that's our luxury and our and our right. And it can be easy to be like, ah, I don't get to watch the sport I love and that sucks. But then when you really peel back the layers and, and see like we're talking about constantly in this conversation, the, the trickle down effects of all of these decisions, the trickle down effects of the students or the jobs lost. I mean, unemployment continues to skyrocket because there's no need for a lot of these jobs right now. And it's, it's, it's saddening. So I guess maybe as we start to come to the close of our conversation, Jeff, I'll start with you. Is there one lasting thought that you have on this current situation that maybe you haven't shared that you would like to touch on before we wrap up the final segment? You know, I think really the one thing, Joe and Jared, that, that strikes me is just seeing kind of the awe that it's left on the young people. Um, I don't think they really exactly know how to handle this. I mean, obviously, they've never been faced with anything like this. Neither have my generation, for that matter. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's just the situation of the unknown. And I know every day I wake up and I've talked about this a couple of times with people that I know, I feel like it's Groundhog Day all over again. I'm waiting for this to be a bad dream and me to come out of it and just think, wow, you know, I'm glad that was nothing but a nightmare, if you will. And it just keeps clinging and going on and on and on. And, and I try not to watch much of the news. 
um, and that's purposefully. I don't really like to just because a lot of times it's not a lot of popular or positive things that are made. Yep. Um, but at the same time, statistics are statistics and they're put out on the internet, they're put out on the news, et cetera. And the reality is, um, I mean, this is an invisible dynamic killer that we're dealing with. And it's something that, you know, I think if you go way back, what was it, 1918, when the, yes. the flu ravaged the entire world virtually and killed hundreds of millions of people at that time, you know, hopefully we're never going to get to that scenario. But the reality is I would have never thought we would be at this scenario right now. And it is at our doorstep. We're dealing with it. I mean, in Southeast Kansas, um, you know, in Montgomery County, which is the county that I'm in, uh, I believe we have seven current positive cases right now. Um, you know, so it is, it's, it's very, it's a frightening situation. And, you know, like I say, I think the big thing is, is seeing the impact that it has on the younger people, because I think they're feeling also the brunt of it, seeing their parents go through tough times, getting laid off from their jobs. Right. Um, and, that, and that puts a strain on the entire family unit. Definitely. Jared, how about you? Well, this certainly won't be the, the definitive quintessential COVID-19 take, but um, just as we've been talking about it, um, thinking about it, and just a few things that Jeff said made, made these thoughts um, burst forward for me. Um, the first of which is Americans and most likely humans in general, we are at our best when our love for our neighbor surpasses our suspicion concerning our neighbor. And sometimes that suspicion manifests itself in a scandalized form. We want to gossip about our neighbors. We want to guess at what they're doing or who they are. And we turn them into characters in a soap opera in our mind that, that doesn't really exist. And I think that happens a little bit just immediately when, when Jeff mentioned, hey, there are seven confirmed cases in Montgomery County. And I immediately went to, I don't know how many cases there are in, in Yosho County where I live, but I wonder who it is and just how gross that is. But I think that is the knee-jerk reaction that a lot of Americans have right now is who has it? How do we scapegoat the people that should be doing this or should be doing that? How did our government fail us? How's our government succeeding? Is it the fault of the people who are still on the beaches in Florida? Is it the fault of whoever was doing international travel? And so we we really look for a way to be suspicious of our neighbors. And you can stretch your arms as wide as you want to determine who gets included into your neighborhood. Um, and we are so much better as people and as Americans, when we love our neighbor and let suspicion be damned somewhat. And I'm struggling with that. Not that I'm suspicious of my neighbors or wondering or, you know, painting scarlet letters on their doors if I've seen them cough or anything. Um, I'm not kicking my kids out of the house when they sneeze. But at the same time, I know that that capacity for suspicion, for scapegoating lives in me. But for all of us, the capacity to love our neighbors in spite of what fear we have and the dissatisfaction or the frustration or the terror that we encounter, that capacity to love our neighbors is still very much alive in us. And then the second thing that I was thinking about is just how we, we talk a lot about mythology in my classes and not 
not in the traditional sense um, of Greek mythology or Norse, Norse mythology, but just the stories that we believe about ourselves as people, as a culture. And it just goes to show us how deeply ingrained sport is in our collective mythology. We need these ciphers that we can live through, that we can see the human drama of winning and losing and triumph and heartbreak and rebounding and rebirth and all these things that sports give us. And also these means that we can connect with each other. Uh, my dad and I are very close, but there has been a noticeable um, kind of difficulty in conversation our time spent together because we don't have sports to talk about. And I know for so many families, especially, and I'm not, I'm not at all being sexist in this, but especially amongst fathers and sons or amongst males and other males, the way in which they relate to each other, the way in which they tell truth to each other is to come together around the observation or criticism of or opinions based on a sporting event. And I think that is so obvious that it's not just that, man, I really wish I could have watched March Madness. It's I really wish I could have filled out a bracket with my dad and my kids and somehow my 11-year-old daughter who's never watched basketball before in her life is going to pick six or seven games that the rest of us don't get. I wish uh, that I could talk to my students about you know, the NBA playoffs coming and who I think is overrated and who I think, because there's such a connection that it, it really does function for us as a cipher. I can't say the things I want to say to you. So I'm going to argue with you about the merits of LeBron James versus Michael Jordan. And we know that conversation is not about that. It's about mutual admiration. It's about exercising, you know, long-term generational demons. But the only way I can do that is with some of my uncles by talking about why I'm a Royals fan and they're a Cardinals fan. And so that's how we have to have those conversations, especially as dudes, and not exclusively, but especially as dudes. And so I think that those two things, that you know, the, the capacity we have to love our neighbors um, supersedes what, what should be there as the capacity to be suspicious of them. And then just how incredibly important sport is to our collective mythology. I like it. The talking about talking about sports. Uh, one of my closest friends, he um, uh, he always will text me random randomly in in our group chat, and he always prefaces um, uh, start bench cut, and then he'll list like three great players in any sport, or sometimes like three pop culture icons. And then, you know, we all are going back and forth like, well, you got to start Michael, you got to you got to start Kobe, you got to start LeBron. I mean, you know, just as an example, it's like, well, who do you bench? Who do you cut? And that's, you know, it died down for quite a bit, because it was like, you know, we were all kind of bummed that there wasn't anything on, you know, we rallied and we moved on. But I think you're you're hitting on quite a bit of what's what's definitely important. Well, this has been a really great conversation. We're going to transition to the final segment of the show, uh, the dad joke of the week. It is a segment where I hurl dad jokes at my unsuspecting guests in an attempt to get them to laugh while the audience groans, but I can't hear the audience. I can only hear my guests, so it works out. But I always like to put uh, my guests on the spot. So Jared, Jeff, do you, either of y'all have a dad joke you would like to offer up before I give you mine? Oh, no, man. You're not putting me on the spot, brother. <laughs> All right, Jeff. Oh, Jared? my gosh. 
Absolutely. I have a, do- a dad joke for you. Uh, what's green with wheels? I don't know. What? Grass. I'm just kidding about the wheels. <laughs> uh, y'all, what's, what's brown and sticky? I don't know. What? A stick. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's good. That's good. All right. I got a couple. I got a couple for y'all. <clears throat> uh, I wanted y'all to know that I dreamed about drowning in an ocean made out of orange soda last night. Whew. It took me a while to work out that it was a fantasy. Fanta. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, I didn't know. Um, I'm going to do one more. Just one more for y'all. Uh, here's the thing is I can't decide, you know, this whole COVID-19 thing has got me rethinking my career. So I can't decide if I want to pursue a career as a writer or a grifter. I'm still weighing the pros and cons. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) All right. Um, uh, Jared, if people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, Jump on Twitter. I'm at Jared A. Wheeler or Instagram. I'm at J-A-W-H-E-E. L, you can find links to stuff I write and uh, my podcast on there. Perfect. And what is the name of that podcast? The podcast is 15 Good Minutes. We will put a link to that in the show notes as well. And Jeff, if people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, you can hit me up on Twitter, uh, JC Radio Sports. Uh, You can also catch me on LinkedIn. It's just Jeff Carpenter. You'll find me there. And I had a podcast. I really have kind of stepped away from that uh, for a while. I was pretty busy there um, throughout most of the wintertime doing uh, basketball for Independence Community College for the girls and the guys. So that took up a lot of the time, and I really tried to devote as much as I could to that. So unfortunately, I, I don't have the podcast going now, but hopefully I'll get back into that here coming up before too long. That sounds good. What's the name of it? We'll still put it in the show notes so people can get caught up. Life After Last Chance You. Perfect. I can highly recommend that one. Jared was my guest on there, too. That's right. He did That's a great right. job. Yes. We had, in fact, I had so many people make uh, such great comments and remarks about our conversation there. So, um, you know, he's a very well-spoken, articulate person and, um, and very knowledgeable. And, you know, like I said, that makes any interviewer's job so much easier yes. when you have uh, a guest like that. So... Uh, I was really excited to have him on the show. And, um, you know, like I say, it that just makes it for me a little bit more enjoyable when you have somebody that uh, shares the same same interests and same loves as you do. Absolutely. Well, guys, we need a hashtag for this episode. Uh, should we go with hashtag love your neighbor or hashtag stay positive? I mean, my, my vote is love your neighbor, but that may just be because I said it and Jeff went on and on about how smart and articulate I am. So I, mean, I think it only, it only makes sense. And Jeff, by the way, your check's in the mail, man. That's fantastic. Cause right now my hours are cut at work so I can use it. <laughs> I got you, brother. <laughs> no, awesome. brother, I, I like, uh, I like love than a neighbor. I do like that because I think that's a very important thing for all of us. And, um, you know, stay strong, America. We're going to get through this. That's right. All right. Well, thank you all so much. Listeners, we'll be back next week with another great episode. But until then, hashtag love your neighbor and hashtag be a better dad. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at detoxpodcast or visit detoxpodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. 
It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W dot com.